That's a beautiful black name, man. Draymond Green. You cannot not be black. <laughs> I love, you know what? Okay, Draymond Green. And then Ryan walks in. Oh, yeah. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to Writer's House on Ringer FC. I'm going to talk about Pogba today. I'm going to talk about subs, super subs, and Son. I'm going to give, I'm going to give Huming Son some flowers for destroying us. And Defoe, Jermaine Defoe, 800 games. I'm going to give him some love and some flowers as well. The fans being back had a nice chat with Trent Alexander-Arnold. That was really cool. And we're going to talk WSL. And joining me today is going to be Ryan Hun and Carl Anker. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Nutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Everything dogs do, they give their 100%. Feed them food to help them keep giving it their all with Nutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Nutro, feed clean. Learn more at Nutro.com. Made with non-GMO ingredients, trace amounts may be present due to potential cross-contact during manufacturing. This episode is brought to you by the Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is designed for the ultimate safety test, climate change. Because when driving in pure mode, you're driving electric. For everyone's safety. Visit volvocars.com slash US. Yes, my guest today are Ryan Hunt and Mr. Carl Anka, how are you doing from The Athletic? How are we doing, guys? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. Are you good, Carl? I'm right. Are you good? Are you good listening to us? surrounded in, like, Pogba. You're drowning in Pogba. He's drowning I'm, in Pogba at the moment. I'm listening to Sammy Davis Jr. Oh. I'm listening to The Joker, <laughs> which is very much as the Joker in the pack, and he's got, he makes everyone laugh, but secretly he's crying. And that's what I feel about Pogba right now. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, mate, that's my, that's my Arsenal fandom over the last 10 wow. years. You tell it, exactly. <laughs> because, you know, but can we, just, can we just enlarge on that a bit, Carl? Because like yesterday, all of a sudden, when I'm getting ready to just chill, it's just blasted. Me and Ariola, an agent just coming out and just, he can't do that, surely on his own, Carl. Pogba's complicit, surely in that. What, what is going on? Why has he just come out and blasted that like that? The timing of it made me laugh. Mm. That sort of, ah, Pogba scored on Saturday, so let's throw mm. a grenade in on Monday. That's what it's all like, the gifts were saying. Good. All the gifts, <laughs> all the memes and everything saying, okay, Pogba's playing well, me and Ariola, but, you know, it, that's, as, that's as definite as I've ever seen anybody of that stature being touted. That's as definite as it's been of, of me listening to what Riola's saying. And he said something like that before, though. Riola came out and did something similar. Riola's yep. come out for certain Manchester United legends. So, you know, he told, he's told Paul Scholes to be quiet and he's, he's mentioned loads of things about Pogba's leadership before, which had that really interesting thing where Mike Phelan went, ugh, he's not United quality. And then Phelan ended up being the assistant manager when Solskjaer <laughs> came in. <laughs> I just imagine what Phelan and Pogba would have had that conversation. He's like, yeah, so remember when I talked bad about your agent? Sorry. 
that, actually, right. Does that stuff, has that stuff happened before? Like when you were playing where someone is, where like you've heard someone's agent say something no. or someone's agent at Arsenal no, said something. No, no, because right. I think that what's happened is, is that the way that agents are and the super agents and one of the things that, that they are super agents, what George Mendes and Riola's doing. And when I was playing, agents wouldn't even dare talk about, mm. talk like they're talking now. The power that they've got, the imbalance of power that they've got, for me, is what is a massive problem in the game. For mm. an agent to come out and talk like that about his client, whether he feels like that or not, it's not helping anybody. Because let's, if you look at it, you think to yourself, if you've got an agent with that much power, we're talking mm. about a, a, one of the top players, a World Cup winner at Manchester United, and the agent is talking on his behalf like that with no one saying, whoa, 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 you need to just chill, bro. Mm. It's like when Yaya's agent came out and just started blasting. For a cake. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, for a cake, right? But, like, but the thing is, the point I'm making is, he's too powerful. Mm. Why would Real Madrid want to have a player that's got a, an agent that can blast off any time like that and embarrass everybody, embarrass, for me, himself, the player. This isn't a professional way to be. It's not how you should be acting. And it doesn't make no difference that it's in a club, the stature of Manchester United. It sh- it's, they should be more respectful. There's no respect in the whole of that scenario, what's going on. That is not stuff that should be being washed in public. Yeah. That would never happen, Ryan, in our day because the agents for a start would never be that out of order and talk to people like they're talking and just with no recourse, bro. I uh, very much leapt up from my sofa when, when the mm. quotes came out. So he was given the interview, Raul was giving the interview to Tuto Sport. Mm. So I think it was ahead of the Golden Boy and James Horncastle, Serie A expert, uh, brought up the fact that gold, um, the Golden Boy Award has been won in the last 10 years, four Raiola clients have won it. So he tends to do this sort of interview okay. around like this time of year. So this, you know, this, this is the Raiola time to talk. And yeah, just to do that is, I mean, it's really, I don't know. I remember Ibra mentioned how Raiola works a bit like a mafioso. I think he mm-hmm. told, it's in, Ibrahimovic's autobiography is really, really good. And if you've got an iPad, I recommend you get the iPad version of it. It's one of the, rare books that's better in iPad because you can like you can like <laughs> jump into it and like take out certain if you just want to read about his AC Milan years or just want to read about his Barcelona years you can like go in and press all the buttons and it's what really Riola's like the Suge Knight of football that's what basically, <laughs> that's basically what Ibra said right what's an executive production credit on everything so he apparently it was it was I think it was at Inter Milan or it might have been at AC where they were going for for like a contract negotiation and Riola just comes in sits down feet up on the desk and starts talking wow. bad yeah. and Ibra's watching him going what this is not this is not normal. this is not how we do it mm. by the end of the day he got the money he wanted they got the deal they wanted and he left and he just went I mean it's unconventional but it works and this is the thing of if I could imagine if you are a client of Raiola you must feel so safe you must feel so protected you must feel like, oh, you know, I don't, worst come to worst, Raul will take care of it because he will and he'll do it. Leaving a lot of debris. Yeah, right. He'll, he'll, he'll take care of you by any means, you know, it might be a bit by any means necessary or whatever, but you're never, I don't think you're ever going to worry about your money. I don't think you're ever going to worry about being in an awkward position for too long because he's a good football agent, right? You, you, mm-hmm. We talk about super agents having too much power. He, he's worked really, really hard to get to a level that, 
where he is, right? He's worked really, really hard to the point that players of certain stature go, I would like that man to represent me because I know I'm going to be safe. There's some clients that you have to remind yourself, oh yeah, he, you know, he's represented. Like Ibra, Ibra has managed to play for both Milan clubs with relatively no pain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, Ibra being slightly he's older. Just amazing. Being, he's amazing. He's a different, he's a different breed. Yeah. And I think, I think Raiola can very much be a pit bull. And I think players like that, you know, but I also think that if, if you're one of those quieter players and just want to make sure your money or your whatever is maximized, Raiola will take care of that in a different way. I think, I think the Pogba situation is its own unique thing. You know, if COVID didn't happen and Real Madrid was spending money, I don't think we'd be having this discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I very much watched, not this season, but last season when Pogba was playing at the start of last season in August going, I didn't expect you to be here. The way I always describe it is, you know, every now and again, you get a player that's basically doing like their extra season at a club. So, mm-hmm. or like, you, you know, when you serve your notice, so like Eden Hazard's final season at Chelsea when he won the Europa League and they finished yeah. it. Like you knew Hazard wanted to leave, but Hazard was just very much like, you know what, fine. I'll stay here for an extra year. I'll do my best. Exactly. And then get me a deal out. I think and that's I mean, the way to do it, Carl. There was Thierry Henry around like 2006 yeah. where you got the sense that he wanted to go to Barcelona, but yeah. he said, I'll stay for a bit longer and, and try yeah. what I can do. Uh, Luis Suarez at Liverpool was like, you know, I'm going to stay for one year, scored all those goals. Yeah, they did whatever. In and the I think- right way. Lionel Messi. <laughs> Look at Rise's face. And I think what the awkward thing with Pogba is you've had all like the noise and the circus where everyone's gone, okay, this is very clearly his last year at United. He's going to play really, really well and then go. And then something happens and he doesn't play in the way that you expect him to play. And then he stays due to reasons that you'd expect not to happen. I mean, you can talk about Rayola being a good agent. Rayola should have got Pogba out of there yeah. by now. Absolutely. Based, based on like how good an agent he is. And yeah, but then COVID, you've mentioned. Yeah, a lot of it is down to COVID, which is the thing. Like, if it's not for COVID, there's a very good chance Paul Pogba will be playing next to Donny van der Beek at Real Madrid. Like, both of those players were tapped up by Real Madrid. And that's, that's the very odd thing about football right now. There are so many players that... There's so many players that, you know, oh yeah, Real Madrid probably would have had them. Real Madrid could have had a midfield three of Danny Ceballos, Paul Pogba and Donny van der Beek and Casemiro just like behind them yelling, no, track back. <laughs> I can't do this all on my own, guys. <laughs> uh, I think the, the Raioli thing is interesting though because I think that, for example, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go into Manchester United training and Paul Pogba's just like, fucking Mino's going off, eh? Yeah. And everyone's just like, whoa, yeah, yeah, Mino, man. And I think that there seems to be this thing with agents where it's kind of very much like managers in music. They serve the purpose, obviously, to negotiate on the player's behalf, but also to act as like a bit of a buffer to the outside world. So it's kind of like they take the shit and they have no problem being yeah, yeah. the bad person. The relationship that they will have will be like, yeah, just throw me under the bus. Exactly. Pogba can go back in and be like, I had no idea where that came from. Yeah, Pogba. Really yeah, but Pogba can say that. I mean? But like, if he has a, if he like now that the fans know, I think that you should always protect the player from the fans because you don't know what it's when you're in the dressing room. Pogba might be big enough to take all that on his shoulders, mm. but now now the fans knowing that they that he wants to leave um, because of the way the, the, the his agent has said it, you know, now it gives him no scope for any kind of mistake in anything because it's just going to come down on him. Yeah, I think like it, you've seen glimpses of Pogba, well, not glimpses. I think there've been there've been periods where he's actually played quite well. Yeah, I think 
But I think the, the problem is that it's taken Manchester United so long since he's been there to yeah, establish to any kind of like midfield balance, mm. really. Yeah. And it was a thing that he had perfectly at, at Juve. Mm-hmm. The thing about that Juve midfield was like you had a an, very, an aging and not particularly mobile Andrea Pirlo yeah. as like the deepest midfielder at points for that. But coupled with, you know, Sami Kadira sometimes. Yep. And Marquisio as well. Is, like Mar- you yeah, Marquisio was coming. You've yeah, got to bear sure. in mind then, that that Juve team had Perlo to do the passing, Marquisio to do the running. Every now and again, Arturo Vidal would do the tackling. So all Pogba mm. had to do was do what Pogba wants, which, you know, what Pogba was good at, which is close control dribbling, spraying it about, and then late mm. entries to the box. And he arrives at Manchester United, and his midfield partner is Marianne Fellaini. <laughs> right and no, dis- no disrespect to Marianne Fellaini yeah. Yeah. but he's not on the same level as those midfielders so yeah. Pog was there yeah. in his first yeah. season going right I need to, I don't, I'm not the best defender I'm, I can do it a bit but I'm not the best defender I need someone to stand back behind me so I can do yeah. Pogba things yeah. so Mourinho goes out and buys Nemanja Matic and you know who you know a good Matic performance is good a bad Matic performance is so Pog was there going okay I mean I'll try and then they have a half decent second season and then season three happens and it all just falls apart because Pogba again is going, all right, all right, I understand. You've given me the vice captaincy. Who have you got playing next to me? Everyone's knackered from the World Cup. So Marina goes, hey, here's this guy called Andreas Pereira. He used to be a winger at Valencia, but now he's telling everyone he's a defensive midfielder. And Pogba's going again like, oh, fine. Who else have you got? Oh, there's this kid from the academy called Scott McTominay. He's going to play next to you. And Pogba's just like, okay. And this is the thing of, I think Manchester United never, and you can say, you know, the argument put forward is Manchester United have backed Pogba and, you know, in the Mourinho civil war, they backed Pogba over Mourinho and then Pogba sort of kicked up in form and everyone goes, that's because Mourinho left and he started being happy. Yeah, kind of. But also because the first sort of midfield Solskjaer put forward, Pogba was in his best position on the left of a 4-3-3 and he was next to Nemanja Matic, who did all of the tackling. And it was next to Ander Herrera, who did all of the ball carrying. Yes. So Pogba just had to do Pogba things. And that was going really well. Remember that, you know, that December to about February phase, Paul mm. Pogba, it was like Kevin De Bruyne, the best player in the league. Second yeah. best player was Paul Pogba. And it was going really, really well. And everyone's talking, this is great. And then Ander Herrera gets injured in the game against Liverpool. And it all falls apart again. And then maybe like two weeks later, Paul Pogba is in, you know, this international break and Paul Pogba's in the news going, yeah, Real Madrid would be quite nice, wouldn't it? And this is the thing. I think what's happened for about at least three seasons is Manchester. Well, first of all, Manchester United didn't know what they got with Paul Pogba because I think a lot of us mm. didn't know what we got from Paul Pogba. We all saw the highlights in Champions League football, and we all saw World Cup clips, and we went, "Wow, that guy is six foot two. He's really, really quick. He can dribble. He can shoot. He must be able to do everything. He must be like Vieira or Roy Keane or like the new masterclass." And that's never been Pogba's game. I made the joke of. Paul Pogba plays football like there's a girl he fancies watching the stand. Like he can, <laughs> he's, that, he's, he's got that sort of vibe about him where he, he can sort of, he's like, he's kind of a showboater. He can do some of the things. And then every now and again, he'll just have a game where he'll be amazing. And that's, that's because, you know, like there's someone he wants to impress. You Whereas I think English yeah, football has always yeah. been about, the comparison is Paul Pogba plays football like there's a girl he fancies watching. Whereas a lot of English footballers play as if there's a, their dad or their father figure watching. And it's that sort of thing of how do you play when you're trying to impress someone watching? And he's not too dissimilar from Steven Gerrard, I think. You know, Steven Gerrard's thing was yeah, he Steven tried Gerard, I think way like, too hard sometimes. No, man, I feel like 
And then Pogba's thing is he doesn't try hard enough. No, at man. Times I think Stevie Gerrard. No, I think Stevie Gerrard played like he's already got the girl in the stand, bro. <laughs> if I'm going to be totally honest, that's the vibe I got off of off of him. If we're going to be totally honest, but you see, we're talking United there. Can we just go into the the goals? The goals from substitutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's happening with that, Carl? How comes they they're doing so well? Is it, is it because of the fact that Solskjaer himself was a unbelievable substitute to the point where when we were when we were in and around a soul show, you think to yourself, we're actually afraid that this guy will be coming on soon. And I think Alex Ferguson said that what he liked about Solskjaer is the fact that he, he himself would be watching the game mm. from the side. And that's why they all thought that he'd become a coach because he knew exactly when to put that guy on, especially when you see what Cavani done. What Cavani done with the two goals and the assist, I think Solskjaer is the last person to come off as, as a substitute, I think against Forrest way back and done the same kind of four to four goals, Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot understand, and we're going to talk about substitutes, because I've got one here with the top five substitutes in Premier League history mm-hmm. and the goal scorer, because we're going to have to give someone flowers out of that. I'm g- we're going to go back and give Son flowers as well. I'm not going to forget that. In respects of a substitute, I always believe as a sub, when I was a sub, I'm, I'm just, I'm just can't wait to get on. You look at some subs, mm-hmm. even the way they warm up is wrong, bro. You think, if I'm a manager watching him warm up, he's not going on because mm. he's pissed off and you're not meant to be pissed off as a substitute. And that's why when I talk about me in England 96, I'll probably, tears will come down again and missing out on that because I, I already in my mind accepted that I'm going to be a sub and I didn't even get there. As a substitute, you're meant to watch what's going on. So then if you get your chance, you go on and you exploit. Mm-hmm. That is what I saw Cavani do. That's what I saw Solskjaer do to so great effect when he was playing Carl. I remember you've talked about the FA Cup final when you were at Palace mm-hmm. when you came on against Manchester United. I remember you said, because you were a sub in that game because you, you, know, you just recovered from an injury and you yeah. said you came on that pitch like Mike Tyson said, Bad intentions. Bad intentions, bro. I remember that <laughs> description. I remember like you even like intentions. put your fist in your hand like you came on with bad intentions. So vexed. I was vexed, Carl. I vexed think like. you scored an angry goal. I, it was an angry goal. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was an angry goal. I was an angry goal in the FA Cup final. I was angry. You mentioned it, but the thing with that goal, and this is what I'm saying, but, but we're talking about like even with Solskjaer. Solskjaer looked like, like that's why they call him the baby-faced assassin. He didn't mm. even look like he was vexed. I was vexed because I was gutted I didn't start the game and all I had in my mind all the time I was on that bench and from that even before that I used to think if I'm just going to get the ball when I'm a substitute as soon as I get the ball out of my feet I'm shooting and I don't care where I am I don't care where I am when I come off the pit when I come off the, the bench as a substitute the first thing I'm thinking is I'm going to get the ball out of my feet and I'm shooting like when I think of super subs I have to go way back in my, the annals of my memory and history because I mean with like with Mill, it's when I watched my first game, first games at Millwall, and they used to have a substitute used to come on. Dave Memmott, his name was, mm-hmm. and he all. It was like I even when I was watching and talking about when I was 10, like ten, eleven, from nine to thirteen. Dave Memmott, he hardly started any games, but he'd always come off the bench and score. Dave Memmott, right? So it, it was something that I always loved about the super sub. That's why even with Beerhoff, when Beerhoff done it. It's something that charged inside me as just being the guy that saves every. He saved the, everything, <laughs> saved the game. He's the hero. 
And this is why I say, I always mention 96, but who's your super hit, super sub? Who's your super sub, right? That is a big question. It's a massive question. I think there's some low-key underrated subs. Yeah. Like I used to think Chambo, when he used to come on at Arsenal, mm-hmm. later yes, games, was yes. always full of, he would always... Yes, give us something. Yeah. I mean, it could... Was it the Olympiacos game? No, Monaco. Mm. I think he came on, right? And he scored, got us back in it and then gave the ball away on the halfway line and like <laughs> killed the game. But it was always, it was always like, I don't know. He, he, he's like the kind of model of a super sub, I think. It makes a difference, it's, the super sub. Yeah. And he's got such a varied skill set. I have a long standing belief that Oxlade Chamberlain is consistently underrated. Massively. Actually. <laughs> Massively. I don't think he's disrespected. Because I think it's hard to disrespect Chamber because he's just so lovely. Mm, he's a nice guy. But, but I think definitely underrated. But in terms of other, other impact substitutes. Yeah, this, yeah, but you go instantly for me. I just think of Solskjaer. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's hard to say. It's hard to you know? But then you have to, like I saw, like Jermaine, Jermaine Defoe Flowers, my guy. 800 mm-hmm. appearances, man. You know what I mean? And in respects of, he do, he's another person. Is is doesn't get the, the credit. He, he is does, so he's so, good. He's at so good at explaining how to score goals. Oh, he's brilliant because he's it that, means the whole world to him. He's in that really interesting place where some strikers will go. The ball came in. I did this. I did. I did the backflip mm. and I scored because mm-hmm. it, it's just been like so natural and innate <laughs> to him. Whereas Jermaine Defoe, and I mean this in the nicest way, has mm-hmm. had to work on his craft and understands it's a craft. And he is amazing he's a, at explaining. He's, very studious, he's, he's amazing very explaining to other people. Yeah. If you're, he does mm-hmm. these, he does workshops, and then he, you know, now he's a, getting a bit further on in his career. Yeah. He does these amazing workshops at pretty much every single club where he will talk to the academy players and like, and he will just go, "When you're making a near post run, this is how you time the run." When he looks mm-hmm. at you and looks back, that means he can't see you anymore, and that's a perfect mm-hmm. time to make a run. I remember, Carl. I've got to explain because when I signed for West Ham, mm-hmm. he signed. He came. He signed. I was one of the players because you see him in that little picture I remember I posted with him and Leo Knight and I remember I used to do training sessions with him about the runs Mm -hmm. and what what I used to do and I remember I remember watching the World Cup um, when he was substitute he came on Czech Republic and he scored and I remember when he was 15 we used to do the finishing and I used to go in I used to go in the near post and do the timing because obviously there weren't players there and and I used to say Jermaine it's the timing you can't go yet. You have to wait. Because remember, the defender knows you want to go into that space. So you have to do something here. And then you have to get there just in time in front of him. So he'd do it and he'd go too early. So in the end, I'd hold his shirt, right? And so get the ball out there, hold his shirt. And I'd say, right, you go like you're leaning forward. When I let it go, you, you fucking blast to that mm-hmm. near post. And so we'd do that and bam, let it go. And he'd do it. And I remember... When he scored the goal against Czech Republic in the World Cup, we beat them. I think he came off the bench as well. He came off the bench. Slovenia. I Slovenia. Slovenia. Was it, was it Slovenia. Slovenia? Slovenia? Yeah, Slovenia. Slovenia, yes. And afterwards he said, I remember, and he just said it in a quick kind of interview. Yeah, I remember that was the run right. When we was doing it right, I burst into tears. <laughs> oh, Burst into man. tears because I remember actually having to hold his shirt. Mm-hmm. And like to see him go on now to get 800 appearances. You know, he's another one. Coming off the bench, I think he's got the most. The top five goal scorers Premier League, Jermaine Defoe, Olivier, Jermaine Defoe's got 24, Olivier Giroud, he's got 20. Then you've got Javier Hernandez, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, 17, and then Daniel Sturridge. But 24 goals off the bench. And we're talking about somebody who 
like you say, Cut, he's so studious about mm. the game. Like I speak to Jermaine, like I said, Jermaine Jennison. and Jermaine Jennis would say, yeah, in training, you'd say, yeah, Jay, you wasn't great. Yeah. And then Jay, Jermaine would just say, how many goals did I score today in training? How many goals did I score in training? So anything you say to him, you say, yeah, but how many goals did I score in training though? Come yeah. on. <laughs> That's how he kills off everything. He is somebody, for me, his name is not lauded enough for what he's done. And he's somebody that should have somewhere along the line, I cannot understand how we didn't get into the top four teams with the goal scoring capabilities he had and really for a manager to just, to just give him that, give him the, the keys to go and get on with it. As Moose would say, you and Moose would say, right, go and, go and score the goals to, to win me this league. You know, I cannot understand how that didn't happen to him. I have to give him flowers because for his longevity, people don't realise how hard he works at his game. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He's, what's now, 36 now, 37, and he's still as fit as a 25, 26-year-old. Doesn't drink, doesn't mm -hmm. do anything like that. You know, he's got, to, he's, like I say, you know, as a, as a guy that comes off the bench again, you know, he, all he's thinking is, I'm going to score. That's what you Maybe. should be doing. That's how you should be on the bench. And this is like we, the point I'm making at the start with Cavani. Like, you look at the way Cavani came off the bench. And for me, did you see how long it took him to get his boots on? Yeah. <laughs> it took, and it was like, man, get on the pitch. And he was just like, everybody just calm. I'm going to just, I mean, yeah, lace my boots up. Say my first rodeo, yeah, exactly, guys. Exactly, guys. I know how to ride that horse, like, bro. He's just like, <laughs> After his summer of horse riding. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But do, do, do you remember how he came on the pitch? He was on the side of the pitch doing his boots up. Yep. Guys, as, like somebody who is, yeah, I know, I know what's going to happen when I get on there. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> bus ain't here for four minutes yet. <laughs> I know what's going on. <laughs> Look at it says. Look at the bus stand. It says the bus ain't here for two, three minutes. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid is designed for the ultimate safety test, climate change. While driving in pure mode produces zero tailpipe emissions outside, its available advanced air cleaner helps optimize the air inside. The car you trust to protect your family now helps protect their future. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. For everyone's safety. Learn more at volvocars.com slash US. This episode is brought to you by Nutro Natural Choice Dog Food. Tail wags that could clear a coffee table. Getting a whiff of a new friend's behind. Chasing squirrels, even in their sleep. Everything dogs do, they do with everything they have. Nutro Clean Recipes gives them the energy they need to keep living their best life with recipes that help them give it their all. Made with non-GMO ingredients, except the trace amounts that may come in contact during manufacturing, Nutro Natural Choice makes it easy to feed your dog well. With no artificial flavors or preservatives and recipes that would make any dog drool, you'll both be doing a happy dance when you fill up their bowl. Nutro, feed clean. Learn more at Nutro.com. Trace amounts may be present due to potential cross-contact during manufacturing. Speaking of flowers, guys, and Son Yun-ming, what Tottenham done the other day. And you know what, Rye? Why are we doing this, right? We have to. We have to punish ourselves. But at the same time, you know, I'm getting a lot of the Tottenham fans saying, I'm not sure about the way we're playing. Or people, it's more pundits saying, 
mm, not sure Tottenham fans will be happy with the way we're playing. And, um, you know, you know, we're not, you know, percentage of the ball and this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, the way they played against Arsenal the other day, what they've done to Man, Man United um, a few months back, and the way they're playing, what they've done against West Brom to win that game and how they stayed in the game, you know, I cannot understand where some of the pundits are saying they're not going to be happy with the way that they're playing. And it's yeah. a good thing fans are not in there at the moment. And you look at that, the way Arsenal play, the way Arsenal pass the ball around and get nowhere with it for, what's it, 55 passes to one shot and go nowhere. Tottenham just like, it was just like possum, bro. Yeah. You look at the goals, it was just like efficient, clinical, just, they killed us, man. They, they must be so happy in their training room. Imagine, imagine being a football player and mm. your manager's gone, this is what's going to happen today, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to, we're going to hold them off for ages. Mm -hmm. And then when they, over, gonna, when they overcommit yeah. on set pieces, which they will, we're going to break and it's going to be a four and two and it's very important you score. Once we got a couple of goals up, they're going to, you know, play in and around. They're going to overcommit and it happens. And we'll they'll it. score. Just wait. Yeah, just wait. Hoiberg, if the ball gets loose, you grab it. Suzuko, if the ball gets loose, mm -hmm. you grab it. The rest of you just head the ball. And then you look at Son. Yeah, but you look at and Son. it worked, Cal. right? It, it worked. Yeah, but, it's, it's, yeah, but <laughs> we're not telling... This is why when you look at the amount of spaces that was afforded to Tottenham in mm -hmm. those areas, I'm surprised you didn't concede more goals. But Son, for me, again, has to get flowers. He doesn't get the credit. And I remember saying a few, not even, not even too long ago about how did those top teams, when you look at Son and what he does off of that left, the goals he scores, and even his goal, right? Harry Kane done what he done. He dropped off. I'm not talking about an unbelievable side splitting David Silva, Pogba in his best De Bruyne pass, but he dropped off and done what he does at the moment. Played a pass to Son, who then had to run with it to a point where obviously Hector slipped, but it's 30 yards out, he's curled it in. You know, this goal is a magnificent goal, but what they've done is that they've linked the Kane and Son kind of thing again, but Kane was in his own life, he gave it to him and he had to go and do some unbelievable mm. oh, work yeah. to score, to curl it in from 30 yards but then they want to link the... That is magnificent. He stands alone. And when you look at what he's done since he's been here, and I think they tried to get rid of him, right? 2016, it worked he was, quite he was, he was up for sale. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think it was... It basically came down to... Um, I might be misremembering, but it was basically a, ch a choice between him and Nasa Chadley, and Chadley was the one who departed, which... Oh, mighty, what a big mistake. Isn't that, that a fun been, sliding doors moment? Beautiful sliding doors moment when you can that, see that. If you think about it, though, it has been the last three years that he's really turbocharged. Oh, man. Massive. It's hard to find a... Well, it's hard to name a better wide forward in world football. He's so... Direct. You got it's like him and Mane. Mane, yeah. Like, you have to throw yeah, a like, Salah as well. Salah yeah, on that side. Yeah. Mane, yeah. him. One thing I've, I've thought for a long time was Son is... Son is probably the biggest viable superstar out there, right? Mm. Like, and it's weird he's not it's weird he's not being linked to clubs in the sort of super super duper heavyweights yeah. no disrespect yeah. to Spurs and mm -hmm. I've thought this for a while of when Real Madrid went off to buy Eden Hazard I understand why that made sense Eden Hazard was Chelsea's best player he's one of the best players in Europe etc 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 but if you went if Real Madrid came up to you one day and went we need a player who can play wide forward and mm -hmm. can sometimes be a striker who can shoot the ball loads of times can dribble and can do it with both feet I'd go Go buy Son. Don't, no, don't, don't buy Hazard. You need to buy Son. But yeah, but Carl, this is where you're getting, you're thinking too much. Right? Yeah. Because when have Real Madrid ever said, here's what we actually need, guys? <laughs> <laughs> they just get the shiniest thing. I wonder 
whether there is a little bit of a racial element in there. Seriously? Yeah, I do think so. I think that there's a thing about Asian footballers, I think, that a lot of people just don't really pick up on. Like, I mean, you saw that how the language used around Park Sung mm-hmm. was often very different to, say, white players with similar skill set. Mm. I, I do wonder if that's in there. That some people's it's a good point. perceptions of what a superstar should be. Because yeah. he's not super flashy. Mm. He's so... I don't want to use this word, but he is just so normal. Normal, man. It's a, it's a perfect word to use. And, and, and I do wonder, I think because of that, you do wonder whether maybe someone like Real Madrid, just, they're not, he's not on their radar because for them, he's not enough of a quote unquote. It's just, yeah, well, it's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous um, way to, to go about getting great, great players because I think he is. And it, you know, the thing, what I like about him is the normality. And when you mentioned the racial aspects of it, you have to think to yourself, when you look at him and what he has got and what he's capable of doing, why wouldn't, why wouldn't those teams be looking to say, that's the guy we want? Look what he's doing. It's because the only thing you could question with him, and we're not talking about now, because like you mentioned, right, the last three years, we're talking about exceptional consistency. Mm-hmm. So what more do you want? Apart I mean, from the, what more can he do? It's good news for Spurs fans, right? And I think this is the, this is the really interesting thing for Spurs for a while and Spurs fans listening we're not saying Son should leave we're just saying it's weird that Son doesn't get the transfer of everyone should have and I think mm-hmm. the really interesting for, for Mourinho right now and Ian we talked about this on Thursday about buying I think Mourinho's got a really really good group of talented players the fact they haven't won anything probably helped because that means yeah. there are players out there who are still hungry still willing to work and they're really really talented at it but also None of them are big enough to tell Mourinho to be quiet if Mourinho starts doing, saying, yeah. do the boring stuff. Mm. And that, that works for him, right? Lockdown and that break and the new season has helped because that meant Mourinho's gone, okay, your way didn't work and that way didn't work. Now you have to buy into my way. And that really, really helps. And I think, you know, to go back to Pogba a bit, we know that Mourinho used to try and get Pogba to do certain things and when you would go to Pogba, like, come on, Pogba, this is how Frank Lampard used to do it. And Pogba was very much... From what I understand, Pogba made comments like Frank Lampard was ages ago and I've already got a World Cup medal. I don't, if I don't want to do this and I've won a World Cup by not doing this, what more can you teach me? Which mm. is the thing. Like a lot of, I think a lot of coaching, from what I, I'm getting to the point where coaching isn't, I mean, half of coaching is what you tell the players to do and our half, half of coaching is who the person is saying it. I could go in to Real Madrid right now and say everything Zin Zidane wants to say before this Champions League game and no one will listen to me. If Zidane walks in and says it, everyone's like, yeah, cool. That guy won Champions League for Real Madrid and he was the one who woke up. And it's like heft. Heft is big. Yeah. I also think it's a different thing. Like you, you look at players like coaches like Thomas Tuchel mm-hmm. or Jurgen Klopp, really, who mm-hmm. weren't superstars uh, uh, as, as players. You know, Klopp had a good career at Mainz, but he was never, he was never like an elite mm-hmm. top level German defender. Mm-hmm. And I think that you prove it by coaching. And I think that there's, exactly. a, I think there's so. a kind of emotional intelligence there that comes through. But I, you were saying something before, right, about Spurs and how Spurs fans are a little bit like uneasy or pundits yeah. about like, the way they're doing it. Do you know what it reminds me of? I was going to try and jump in earlier about it, but sure. it's like Spurs at the moment are like, you know, a family where they know that someone's kind of got a hustle, yeah. <laughs> but the money just keeps coming in. <laughs> <That's> you know, <laughs> daddy's got a new job but we don't really know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not going to ask questions because 
we just bought a new house yeah. and we've got two new cars and everything's kind of sweet yeah. at the moment. Yeah. What are you saying? You're waiting for the Spurs fans are waiting to be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, because there is an element with the Spurs thing that like how Mourinho, you kind of felt like he had one last episode of the saga yeah. and left him kind of thing. One final yeah. heist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that element of he's going to torch it at some point, it's never too far away. It's, it's getting a little bit further away, but there is still part of me that thinks that this whole Mourinho and Spurs thing is going to end up like the final scene in Scarface. What, what the fans are thinking, you think? I don't think, you know I, mean? I don't know if the fans think it yet. I think a lot of us, I'd say us being non-Spurs fans and people who have said things about Mourinho are, are kind of like hoping Mourinho can't help himself. Because, uh, I, and I'll, nice, I'll, I I'll say this right now, if it happens, if Mr. Mourinho wins another Premier League and he does mm. it with Tottenham Hotspur, Mm-hmm. A lot of people need to make a lot of apologies. Wow, without a doubt. Yeah. And I will, I will be, I'll eat a hat. <laughs> I will have some humble pie, and I will apologize for talking bad. I think a lot of people are going to be in that position. So I think a lot of us are going, yeah, but you know, I can't last. Hoping. No, but the thing is, it is can't that, last. No, I mean, we, we talked about it on Stadio though because I was like, it was saying that how actually maybe, um, maybe we kind of got it wrong a little bit because how emotionally jarring the potch firing was because mm-hmm. everyone, mm. everyone kind of loved Poch mm. and I think that you know I'm just kind of repeating something I said on Stadio but like when the like Levy's always wanted Mourinho um, or always wanted Spurs to be a club that could attract a manager like Mourinho mm. but when they met their trajectories were kind of going in opposite directions but actually that might have been okay uh, yeah and maybe like it was the perfect landing place for him and um, you know I wrote a piece for the ringer after the North London derby last season when Arsenal lost to was it the Aldevaro header in like the 80 off minute or whatever, saying that even though Spurs won, it kind of looked like Arsenal were really on a, on a clearer path. Mm-hmm. How quickly that's changed. Absolutely, yeah. and, and I think that, I think that the thing about football is that you are going to make, you're, you're, you're constantly dealing with small sample sizes, right? But with the thing with Mourinho is that you had a big sample size and a repeated, like repeated experiments that had all ex- ended in the same result. You know what I mean? And I think that I think that this time, actually, weirdly, maybe the profile of club was slightly different or more different to what we thought it was. And therefore, it's all good. But like, <laughs> go on, sorry. No, go on, right. No, no, finish that, right. Then I'll, I'll come No, no, on. no. So I was just going to say that, like, I think that he deserves a lot of credit. Mm. And I think if Spurs do win the league, mm. <laughs> it <laughs> might. <laughs> yeah. The sound of your voice. It might just pip that second place Man United finishes his best ever achievement. <laughs> Can I say something in respect of like Mourinho and him going there, coming off of the back of his, the jobs, the Man United job and everything, you know, and um, the Chelsea before and, and him going to Spurs with them, with them getting rid of Poch, with Poch getting them to the, to the Champions League final and, everybody thinking, oh my gosh, how can you get back Poch? Give him what he needs. And then them getting Mourinho, it reminded me of when I watched the film Samson and Delilah. <gasps> right? I watched Samson and Delilah and it's when, when they cut Samson's hair, a leap. They, really they blind him. They, they blinded Samson and all the people, when they brought Samson in, Samson, his hair's grown back and they were all laughing at him because like we'd put, with um, Mourinho going to Tottenham and Tottenham being Spursy and ah, this is going to go wrong because the players are finished. And then now they've brought Samson in and they said, ah, he's going to try and push the pillars. And then 
the first time the pillars, he gets his hands on the pillars and then he pushes it and it creaks. That's it. Oh my God. That is how I feel about Spurs right now. That Mourinho, Mourinho going there is, is Samson with his hair. He's got his hair back. He's strong again. The players believe. Mm -hmm. The players believe and they're playing a kind of football again where they're getting it done and they're getting it done. I think the Man United result will always be the one this season that people say, did you see what they've done to Man United? But it's the West Brom result for me. What made me realise he's got them onside. And when you look at the team from goalkeeper, defence, Hoiberg really helps that central pairing for a start. Reguilon, you know, even the way you watch, when you watch Aurier the other day, he looks like a different kind of player. And yep. I think that really we're going to see less mistakes from him because he knows that Mourinho will not tolerate it. And he's got Doherty who could come in and maybe take his position. But you look at the midfield, you look at the front, and you have to start saying, you know, Samson can push this over, man. He can crumble this, man. And so uh, what I've said from a long time ago with Arsenal fans is we've got to stop thinking about what they're doing. And when I was going to, when I was getting ready to watch that game, you know, as, as hard as it was, Ryan, I could not see how, with the way we've played up to that point, we were going to beat them unless something, he brought in Emil Smith-Roll or Joe Willock and Reese Nelson and they just had this game out of, from, from yeah. nowhere, how we were going to beat them. And they beat us exactly how I thought they were going to beat us. Mm -hmm. And it says to me that Tottenham are clinical in what they're doing, in what they're thinking and how they're executing it. And that is what frightens me about them at the minute. And this ain't a fluke. You know, Arsenal haven't won a North London derby in a couple of years. Um, a few people were tweeting us before we did Stadio saying statement victory, statement victory. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, no, actually, it's more status, statement yeah. defeat, I think. Yeah. Because it's like beating Arsenal at the moment isn't really a big deal. It's not. I think there's a couple of things going on at Spurs. I think for the first time in a long time, genuine competition for places. Mm. Yep. And belief in the team, right? Yeah, belief. And everyone knows their job. Every, every mm. single person knows their job. And you see that. It's the ingredients. Whereas at Arsenal, you just don't really. At the mm. And the fact, you know, fans, the fans, the Tottenham fans, I really like what you said about how the Tottenham fans um, and the, 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 um, the example you used and how they're feeling right now. But um, I do feel that they're starting to think, you know something? Yes, Liverpool are good. Yes, City are going to do what they're doing. But we'll probably give them two teams a good game, but we'll, we'll beat the rest of the teams. We, we can beat the rest of the teams. So Tottenham being up there frightens me. And there's something about their fans and a couple of my Tottenham mate fans who, you know, I've got Tottenham fans who are obviously not going to be, we, we, we talk, man. We, 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 we flex. We're flexing. Say, yeah, your team's doing well. Yeah, I'm really... Like, they'll say things like, yeah, man. And it's kind of weird because they say, Arsenal at the moment, bro. They can say it in a way where they feel sorry for you and that would anger me. <laughs> Don't fucking feel sorry for me and what we're doing. Just if you're going to say something, say it constructively and that. And that's the kind of fans I've got. But I can easily say to them, I totally see the Tottenham fan. I totally see where you're going and why you can do it. And they could look at us and say, I totally see what your manager's trying to do and why it may not happen. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening. There's, there's not a better time to win the league. Absolutely. Absolutely. You look at it in, in, in La Liga as well, you know, Atleti are just very steadily going along. I think you're going to have a few curveballs around Europe this year. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. If you vape, you could be inhaling toxic metals into your lungs. To make you feel how scary that is, 
we could have gone to town with some real scary music. Thrown in some zombie sound effects or some blood-curdling screaming and over-the-top shrieking. You get the point. But nothing is as scary as the facts. Vaping can deliver toxic metals like nickel and lead in your lungs. That's metal. In your lungs. Read up about the dangers of vaping on therealcost.gov. And fans back at the weekend. And, and the thing is with that is um, a few weeks ago, uh, I worked with, a, with Redborn a Project, talking to Trent about him being a fan and, and what it means to have fans back. So here's a clip from that talk. When you're starting to think about dreaming about playing in Anfield, when's that happening? That happened when I went to my first game. I went to Champions League quarters. It's um, like 2005 when we won it. I went to the quarters, Juventus. Garcia scored that volley. So you went as a fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first ever football game that I went to. It's a big it's, one. Yeah, man. massive. What was it like? Tell me, man. So, when you, so what was it like the night you went to bed? I need to know all of this. So it's when, because you think this is the Champions League. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I weren't too familiar with like what it would be in terms of like atmosphere and that. I was like, I didn't realise what it was going to be like. I thought, oh, it's another football game, but it's big. They're, they're Juventus. They're going to have the nice black and white stripes. Um, it's going to be an amazing game. Like, I'm going to see them. So I was excited, but I, I weren't ready for what it was actually going to be like. And then, like, walking, like, on the roads just before you get to Anfield and stuff like that, I'm starting to hear, like, the music and, like, the warm-up music and stuff like that. What did you see? Just thousands of people. Like, obviously, I'm small at this age. I think I'm six, seven. Um, So I'm small, trying to weave my way through, holding my mum's hand, making sure that, you know, you can't let go, but she says, don't let go. And she's dragging you through. Um... I'm I'm there and I'm I'm trying to see the stadium and I can't see it because everyone's towering above me and I'm trying to. Could you hear stuff? Yeah, just there like chanting and it, it was just chaos. You can imagine like pre-game, it's just people like walking so fast, people are running, all stuff like that. It's crazy. And uh, the horses, oh bar, but the the one image that I'll never ever forget was going into the stadium and then you know and that you're walking up like the stairs to go and find your seat and you finally get that first glimpse of the pitch and I remember just like on the, standing on the top of the stairs and like seeing them wave like the you know when all the kids stand in the middle and they wave the flag and the floodlights was, were just beaming on the pitch yeah I'll never ever forget that that image it was at that moment I knew I have to be on that pitch one day I have to Anfield on European nights, the crowd, man. There was a feeling, like, I I remember speaking to someone about it and they said they felt the same thing on, like, their first time at Anfield. You felt it when you were six? Yeah, you can, there's something in the, I'm telling you, there's something in the stadium. There's, like, I don't know, it's like a a spiritual, I don't know, it's, oh. It's like when you watch, like, Olympiacos, you know something's going to happen. Yeah, you can feel the history. You can feel the force. Yeah, the, there's something within Anfield on Champions League nights that the, it just there's just a boost of some kind of just belief, faith. You just raw emotion, passion. There's everything just 
in the stadium. It just feels like everyone's so present. Is it electric? You think there. it's all the people, the, the, the energy? Yeah. Electric? Yeah. There's, a, there's like an energy in there. Do you ever get a, a moment where you can look and say, I, I used to sit there when I was six, I, I was sat over that, over that side there or... I, like when I'm playing, I always like look up to where I used to sit. Um, like I, I can recall like exactly where I was for that first game. Like at Anfield, I can point it out to like within ten seats to exactly where I was. Even though it was the, it's a new stand now, I can I can like picture what angle I was looking at, and that's unbelievable. But yeah, I got emotional to be honest with you. The day before we lift the trophy. Just in the night, I don't even know what happened. I was just sat there in the living room with mum. I was on the couch and she was on the other couch and we weren't even speaking. Like we were just watching TV and I, I just, it just hit me like mm. what I was about to do. I'd, I'd do anything just to, to, to be able to win that trophy for the club just because I know how much it meant for the fans and it's the one that means the most to me by far. Is it because of the fans? Yeah, 100%. 100%. What's it like playing for the Liverpool fans, man? Uh, special. Probably a bit cliche, but it's like a family. We used to go there. With the, the managers, every managers I've had, when we go to Amp, to say, you've got to make sure you're ready for when that crowd get going. It's like they feel it themselves. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that the Liverpool fans, they clap you off if you play well against them. You know what I mean? I always, get, I always got a lot of love from Liverpool fans, but the thing with those fans is that they can recognise in a game when especially when you're always kicking down into that cop, mm-hmm. it's like they're sucking the ball in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. can you? Do you yeah. miss? You, you, you need that. Yeah, it's a, like I said before. There's something special in the, in the stadium. I think it comes from the fans, and like we feel like we feel off that. I think it's in. in I don't know. You mm. you you know more than me in terms of how it feels as as an opposition player going to Anfield, being intimidating, and you'll never walk alone and mm. stuff. It's it's a tough place to come to, and I mean, especially now. I think is that three three seasons I'm being out here now. Honestly, can I say with Trent? I'm not ju- I'm not just saying it, but like what you notice is that when you go when you go to his house, it, he's for a start, his mum she's a feeder, right? <laughs> I had to r- literally run out of that house. She would have fed me everything. I felt like Hansel or Gretel, or probably Hansel. <laughs> she was feeding me up. Um, give you a box as well. She was, she was feeding me up. She couldn't stop feeding. But listening to her speak, listening to Trent, uh, the brother, Tyler and everything, and the team around him, it's elite, guys. It's elite. And when you listen to his mum, I had a great chat with his mum. She goes into the Liverpool Academy to talk to parents mm. about the kids and how they should be. Because obviously Trent was one of those. And, you know, how the parents should act on the line. And what happens if it doesn't quite happen? What happens when they're feeling sad? What happens when they start to feel like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work out? How you support them. The, the whole support system around him. And there was a stage there when we was doing it where it started to rain really hard, but he had to do some football stuff. He said, come on, let's just do it. Let's get it done. Let's do it. It's, it's, what, what do you need? And like, they were like, they were actually like taken aback by the, like his enthusiasm in getting it done and doing it properly in the rain. And I, I, I swear to God, he is one of those that it's refreshing. It's refreshing. And we spoke earlier on about professional and learning and what he wants to learn. He gives, gives me the impression 
that he's, he's never going to stop learning, never going to stop getting better. And he's, he's the, 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 the link with the fans when he explains mm. about what it means to watch was, it was just a privilege to be around him, guys. Shining light he is. I thought it was amazing just hearing him talk about, it's kind of like the thing that you would imagine, I don't know if you thought it's Carl, but like it was, when I was listening to it, I was thinking, if I was an Arsenal player and I was being interviewed about Arsenal fans or like the fans being there, this is the kind of shit that I would probably say. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it is, it's just like, a, you kind of forget he's a professional footballer. Yeah. You forget how young he is, right? Mm, so when yeah. he talks about the first game being Juventus and going, hang on, no, that's... No. That's five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, right? And I like how in that clip he can't quite describe the words. Mm. That he's been doing this yeah. and, you know, he's, he's been in public consciousness. He's, he's done Anvil. He's, you know, he's won a Premier League. He's won a Champions mm. League. He's, mm. he's done pretty much everything you can do as a club football yeah. player. And he went and he, you go describe Anfield and he still can't I quite do. grasp it. He still cannot get his head around it. And, and I mean, they'll win against Wolves. And you look at how long Liverpool have been unbeaten at Anfield now. Anfield, oh right? God. Saudi Omane has not lost in the league at Anfield. That's ridiculous. Ever, that. Right? That's ridiculous. That, like, that Virgil van Dijk has not lost in the league at Anfield. Trent has not lost in the league at Anfield. And you're going, how is that possible? Why, why does that happen? And you can look at, there are certain things, you know, I'm, I like XG, I study my stats, so I can do all the XG, XDA, and X, what, you know, some mm-hmm. spreadsheet stuff. And there's still some things about football that, you know, this is the joy about football is you can watch it for years and years and years and you can study it and you can do the scientific way and the stuff that, will happen that you just cannot explain. I cannot explain why Anfield is like that. I cannot explain. I watched the Leicester game where mm-hmm. Johnny Evans did that own goal and I went, I could understand why that mistake might happen if there were fans there. But behind mm-hmm. closed doors, how is Anfield still a fortress? And the fact that Trent himself is like, I don't know. And he can mm-hmm. try and he can think mm-hmm. about it. And you can tell he's really thinking about it when he's talking to you. He's really yeah. trying to find the words. You and he's still like, nah. You know, you know, what's evident, you know what's evident, Carl? You know what's evident, right, is when you sit there and look into look at him speaking, totally believe it. You could see a steely determination and a, a, and the winning mentality. It's just it's just blasting out of him in in what he's thinking and how he's preparing. It's like I done a thing with him for EA Sports, and he's playing against Declan Rice in a game where they had to play with these unbelievable world class bloody gamers, and Declan was with some guy and and Trent was with another guy, and De- um, Trent had to play Declan, and you could see Declan was doing his, you know, this kind of vibe. And his, Trent was sitting there, his, his headphones were on and he was like this. Look, serious. Yeah. Serious. He beat him like 5-0. Yeah. And it was like a game where it had to be on aggregate. And what I tried to explain to the people was you cannot lose the winning mentality mm. just because you're playing the game. You, you don't lose it just because I'm going shopping. You are a winner every single minute of your day and you're thinking like that. That is why Liverpool are doing what they're doing is because every single person in that Liverpool academy, in the under-23s, the, the, the first team, are winners. They're winning. Their mind's winning. They're, everything they're doing is about winning. When you tell stats about those guys have never lost a game at Anfield, you know, you're going onto the pitch, you're just feeling invincible. Mm. There's nothing that you can't do on there, right? Did you hear the chess story with Trent? With the, with the, champ, with the chess champion? Yeah, right? So Trent, mm. you know, Trent's been playing chess since he was a young and, and whatnot. I think there's a really good story in the academy where apparently he asked a player, one of the senior team players came down and he, Trent basically went like, how long is a professional football player's career? And then he went, you, 
have to retire around like 36. So Trent was very much, okay, that means I get 17 chances to win the league. And that, that's how he views it. Mm. And I was, he was like, okay, I get 17 chances to get the mm. thing done. Uh, and my favorite, like, so, you know, Trent plays chess, was playing chess. I think one of his family members taught him when he was quite young. And they were doing some sort of, I think it was branded content. Um, and they got him to play Magnus Carlsen, who is the best chess player in the world, arguably maybe the best ever. And mm. typically, like, there's an app and you can play against like a ghost mm-hmm. of Magnus. And most people, you or me, if you played against Magnus, he will beat yes. you in about 11 moves. Like, mm. He will beat you. Whereas Trent lasted around about 25, 30. And apparently it was one of those things where they were playing chess. And he was like, ha ha, really funny. Magnus is going to beat you now. And then Trent was like, no, I, I know how to play chess. I know how to think and win and view stuff. Jeez. And he just like went, you know, he's playing against a chess god what? and he went down swinging. And I remember reading that going, oh, this guy's just, yeah. he a problem. Yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> he a problem. With Trent, what was so apparent was it was just like, you genuinely haven't, remotely for one second consider playing football anywhere else. Yep. And you may not. He's got one club man written all over him, right? Yeah. I don't know. I think the way that he was talking about Anfield and obviously there were a couple of thousand back on the cop on the weekend. Mm. And it made me think about how, you know, like some, what you were saying before, Carl, about the, the Johnny Evans mistake and stuff, how certain places just carry an aura even when they're empty. And actually the silence is more deafening. Even more, yeah. Mm. It's like, imagine playing, for example, imagine an NBA game playing in an empty Madison Square Garden. Yep, it's different. It would be weird. I actually think it would almost be probably more intimidating because you see and hear absolutely everything. And I think that the thing that we realized this weekend is how, how kind of special having even, like I, thought I, was, I thought it was really funny how all the attendances on Match of the Day were like 2,000. <laughs> And instead of being like, lol, they only had 2,000 there, it was just like, oh my God, they had 2,000. my God, and they were so loud. Oh my God, they were so loud. You know, like the Chelsea fans, like doing all the, like absolutely trolling. Who was the Leeds defender that they were kind of- Oh gosh, was it? it, No, it it wasn't Lorente. Yeah, it was Lorente. Because I I think think I left, I must have left watching for a bit, but every time I came back, it was a weird kind of like booing (laughs) they were doing. What was it? What happened was he got nudged off the ball and kind of just went, (laughs) <laughs> you could hear it right you could <laughs> like you could literally hear it and then every time that he got the ball 2000 Chelsea fans were just like ah! I love that and it, you could tell that like some of them you know how like when people really want to boo someone and they're yeah, kind of like oh you know it's yeah, like, yeah. I've got a couple I've got you know if it, at the Emirates prime example like the booing mecca, right? Learn to boo at the Emirates if you want to boo. 55 minutes, it kind of starts to fizzle out. Mm. And then there's like a big second wind. It kind of, the same thing happened with this. Like a few people were either late getting back from halftime mm. or a bit like, oh, you know, like coming in. <laughs> oh, he's got, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really it was surreal noise. It's like even the, I, the, what I loved about it was all the silly shit that was happening all weekend, and the commentators were just yeah. like, "Oh, I bloody love this." <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you it. know what, right? Right. The thing is, is that when I when you watch, we do it in the office. Me, I do it. Share. We all do it because you can hear the hear them now when the players. The screaming is just. It's just like it's funny. We do it in yeah. the office. As soon as somebody gets fouled, we all scream. Ah! <laughs> so for the, for the um for the Chelsea fans to do that, I love that. But you know what I did love about the Chelsea fans? We have to move on to this because I didn't know if I wanted to do anything on the, on the, 
on the podcast. But you know something, while we're here talking about the fans and the way they reacted on the weekend, Chelsea fans actually clapped mm-hmm. the knee. They clapped it. And what is good about that is that the amount of work that Chelsea are doing in the background and the fans recognising the players' protest and why they're doing it. And they clapped it. Now, I'm sure that going into that game, Chelsea, the Chelsea hierarchy would have probably been a little bit nervous about that with their history. But I have to commend Chelsea and the fans who came in to do that because listening to what the Millwall fans done, it was a bit disappointing, but I wasn't surprised because the amount of confusion that's going on with them, with the Black Lives Matter and what the players are doing is enough for certain people to think that they, they should be booing the players who are trying to do a peaceful protest, guys. It really, really is for me sad. It's sad. I mean, this is the thing that I think a lot of people who are coming at it or making this a political argument need to stop. Fix up, man. It's not yeah. a political argument. It's, a, it's not a political argument and it hasn't got anything to do with Black Lives Matter. The taking the knee thing before games had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter as an no. organisation. If you want to go down that road, mm-hmm. which if you do, then it's whatever. way out for if, some people, If right. you really do want to go down that road and do the whataboutery about like, oh, well, you know, this organisation isn't actually 100% kind of like... Marxism's being the main... Marx, Marxism's getting mentioned all the time. Like, sorry, man, but when football fans are... T- in 2020, and so football fans are talking about Marxism, it's mm-hmm. just like... It's, the, it's, the, it's like we were talking before we started recording. It's like when people start saying woke or virtue signaling or mm-hmm. throw out the Marxism thing, it's just like, nah, yeah. what are you doing? No, nah, bro. You know that they're doing it. It's not going to stop the players. And I think that I've read something the other day, right, um, about someone saying, yes, this, this just reminds us why you're taking the knee. How much work has to be done. How much work has to be done. And, and what's yeah. got to happen is, is that no matter what you do and you think about those people who are trying, I even heard someone on the radio the other day, I'm not even going to mention him because it's just, again, somebody who is just stirring up, just stirring it up, yeah. giving, talking yeah. about statues being pulled down, talking stuff like that. Totally separate. Everything what the Black Lives Matter people have said, whether it's, you know, whatever you think about that, it's totally different to what these guys do in respect to the protests, what they're doing. The only mm-hmm. thing that links them is that they've used the Black Lives Matter slogan. That and is it. My argument there is, even if you are annoyed at that stuff and, you know, you're, you're annoyed at, you, you, you believe that this organisation is, is looting and desecrating mm. statues and whatnot, and you believe that that's the wrong way to do it, why would you boo the peaceful yeah. protest? Mm-hmm. Why would you boo the one that you invoke the name of Martin Luther King all the time? And talk mm-hmm. about non-violence. And you talk about the fact that there's a better way to do this. This is, mm-hmm. this is apparently the best way to do this, right? A peaceful knee taken down. Mm-hmm. It causes no property damage. It does nothing. And yet mm-hmm. people choose to boo it. It basically, my strong belief is that anyone who has a problem with taking the knee has a problem with any form of protest. And to that, I think there's no need for a discussion because if you have mm. a problem with taking a knee, if you have a problem with taking a knee, a non-violent form of protest, a, non- a non-violent form of solidarity with people who are essentially asking for their human rights to be enshrined in law that they should be, if you have a problem with that, then you need to take a good hard look at yourself. Absolutely, yeah. Should we move on to some positive stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, but although this isn't really like, this is a bit of a catfish positive thing because well, Sam <laughs> got a hat trick and then injured herself celebrating. I've got to talk about that, that game as well. But before, you know, with West Ham, I've, I feel sorry for that, the manager, you know, Matt Beer, because you know what, over the last couple of seasons, yes, they've lost, what did they lose? They lost 8-0, then mm. they lost 9-1. 
And, you know, he's, I know he's got good connections. You know, he's done all his, he's done his stuff. But for some reason, right, I don't think that they didn't get through what he's trying to coach. Because even the other day, West Ham losing 3-2 to Chelsea. You think to yourself, oh, God, they lost again. But when you consider losing 8-0 and 9-1, and then with the new guys, what was it? I think Billy Stewart and Paul McHugh coming in, that's a fantastic result against a Chelsea side that, let's face it, are pretty elite oh, with mate, what they've got like- going on. Right. They're so stacked. Oh, yeah. They're so stacked. But they were in the game as well. This is the thing. I think, like, just after half time, it was still like when Rachel Daly equalized. Mm. They were in it. You know, I mean, admittedly, it was only one, like, less than 10 minutes later, Sam Kerr got a second. But a number yeah, of sides can... really have been blown away by Chelsea this season. And then also, these teams can improve in the summer just from, especially, yeah. especially the teams that have, that are attached to bigger clubs on the men's side. You can just make the jump when that team or that organisation decides to put in an extra million or two million over the yeah, summer. Yeah. So Spurs went from being a team that's there or thereabouts to, you know, the higher ups at Spurs going, let's take this more seriously. You know, I was thinking with, with Sam Kerr and the way that when she came, she came with a massive like rep in coming from Australia, coming from the, being a, such a good striker. And I think that what happened with her and even watching her a few weeks ago when she was missing those chances, missing some really good chances and stuff like that. Watching her, I think it's been unfair in the way that they kind of like try to, maybe because they, I don't know what they were doing um, to try to build a hype, but to, to, to try and compare her with Miedema, who is like that nine and a half, mm-hmm. like nine can play, and play, but mainly 10. Sam Kerr's a striker, man. Yeah, her mm. movement, her movement is is awesome. You can see in a couple of those goals, her movement is awesome. And I think that that's the confusing thing. What's happened with her is that them trying to compare her in with Medema and what Medema does. Where as for me, she's just the number nine, she's just an out and out number nine with great movement. But she kind of started a little bit uh, off Beth England, mm. mm-hmm. she, yeah. which I think is quite good for Sam Kerr because she's so good at. It's like Aubameyang playing right. wide, actually, yeah. and how. It actually suits him. If he's got the right service, it's perfect for him. Yeah, Unbelievable yeah. for him. She's so good at attacking space. Mm. Like there's nothing really that a defender wants to see less, maybe apart from Viv Miedemar, than Sam Kerr getting in behind you. Yeah. It's like Jaws. I don't want to drop a shark reference because she's Australian. Yeah. But like, <laughs> as soon as the fin comes out of the water, it's just like cue the music. And yeah. that's kind of what it's happened over. with Sam Kerr. But I just think yeah. that she just, she relies so much on rhythm as well. Yep. She's all right for next weekend because yeah. clicking into gear now for them and for her is, is, is really good. Yeah, but you, you look at it and you think to yourself, for her to get injured like she did with Beth England in and around as well, it, it's the kind of opportunity that now arises out of something that you think that could have totally been like avoided. Mm. You know what I mean? It's so now it's, you know, it's very unfortunate. Like, like somebody like, like Beth now, can come and, and do her stuff again. Because remember, she, she didn't do too many bad things to, no. to, to lose her position. But you look at Chelsea and the way Chelsea are now building that team, the depth in that team. I think they're, they're, they're doing everything. I think they've got capable of doing everything. Oh. Chelsea, they're a frightening team. Man, they're... Purnell and, and you know... Yeah, Purnell and are, as well, you know. I mean, but now their bench, their bench on the, re- the weekend was mm. like Carly Telford. Mm-hmm. As a keeper, as a mm. backup goalkeeper, Billy Bright, Aaron Cuthbert, Guru Wrighton. Guru Wrighton, man. Jess Play Carter, it. Sophie Ingle, Jess Fleming, and Neve Charles. Like, 
I just think that they're really, they're, I just think that they're, they're, we said it all season, I think that they, they look the, the favourites to kind of win the Super mm-hmm. League. Mm-hmm. As well as Manchester United are doing up to, and they continue to do really, Man really United, well. I, I, you can't help but admire everything about Man United, Casey Stoney. Yep. You know, the way they're playing. You know, I love the fact as well that with Jackie Gronin, with the, you know, with the head injury and Casey Stoney, like she, she already said before that if anything happens to the players, of course, she's going to listen to what the doctor says. She's going to take all the protocols. She's going to make sure that it's right. everything is, is okay for the player to carry on. But then, you know, Jackie Gronin got the injury. Bam, she just took her off. Yep, yep. It's, no, it's, 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 for me, it's just like, just that's what should happen. That's mm-hmm. what should happen. And I'm glad that she's just backed herself up there and put a, a, a money where mouth is because that is how players are going to be safe because we need to make sure that players are safe. That was a nil nil as well. Yeah, yeah. taking off a yeah, Jeez, taking off a player like uh, that. Casey yeah. Stoney's been so consistent with it. When United was down in the Championship, you got to bear in mind, you know, the Championship has wildly divergent levels mm-hmm. of player care. So mm-hmm. Manchester United women's team, you know, you're playing there, you're playing at professional levels, you have professional player care. Whereas when they were down there, they were, I think they had a game against Charlton, cut off partway through because a player got concussed and Charlton has the same provisions that you get at amateur rugby where someone had to go and call a civilian ambulance and yeah. you have to just sit there and wait for someone to come in. And Casey oh Stoney has been there going, you know, this is a really good example of how just how wildly divergent women's football is and how some teams have the money to, to look after players and their pressure mm-hmm. man and some teams unfortunately yeah. don't and have to take yeah. care of it in the same way that you and I would at Sunday League. And mm. the fact that Casey Stone is like, no, if there's a problem, I'm going to take care of it. And you know for a fact she takes care of it, not only just for her team at Manchester United, mm-hmm, but for but everybody, she, for the whole she, game. The whole game. And this is why when, um, like I remember when, when, when Casey Stone, when people were talking about how Man United, Rap and I were talking about how Man United should have done this by now. And the fact that Casey Stone just came and shut that down and said, for these reasons, because everything has to be right. Mm-hmm. Can't just, oh, because you're a massive club, oh, we, why haven't you got a women's team and get that women's team out and then the women's team haven't got everything that's going to make them be as great as, not saying as the men's team, but to challenge in a football, um, a football environment like Man United are supposed to. And, you know, she's shown patience in that. And now, you know, they, they've got everything. Mm. They've got everything they need to continue to grow. And, you know, when you look at the team they're building, the fact that she's, she's an amazing manager, you know yeah. what I mean? You feel it's that. I, I'm that's so... how they should be. That's how, that, that's how you want people in the women's game, the, the, the main people in the women's game to be talking. It's not no fucking joke. It's, it's yeah. not a joke, this, this league. Not, it's, not yeah. a joke. it's a serious oh. business. Yeah. Don't just fucking throw a team in just because. You no. know what I mean? Oh, because we're a big name. You know, you've seen everything that's going on with Liverpool. Mm-hmm. You know? So th- th- do it properly because it's to the benefit of the women's game. Casey Stoney wants to build something that lasts because Casey Stoney was there at a time where women's teams were being created and then being shut down due to mm-hmm. the, the whims of money makers elsewhere. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I, yeah, it's amazing when you remark that this is her first managerial job, her first full-time managerial job. And I think Casey Stoney does everything with the intention that when she is done at Manchester United, Manchester United's women's team is going to last for yes. 20, 30, 40, 50 years because yeah. she built a foundation. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the greatest compliment you can give to someone. That what Casey Stone is trying to do is to make sure that when it's all said and done, that football team will continue to exist for decades. 
What can I say? Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you, Ryan Hahn. Thank you, Carl. Carl Anker from The Athletic. I'm never going to forget saying that. Thank you very much for your, for your wisdom, my friend in the house. That's what you bring. You bring wisdom to my house when you come to my house. But I'm going to have to ask you to leave my house. <laughs> Next time I come back, I'll bring fudge. Bring fudge, bro. Bring fudge. Wisdom fudge. Will do. Take it easy, my friend. Thanks, guys. Later, guys. Okay, thanks very much for listening, everybody. Thank you, Ryan Hahn. Thank you, Carl Anker, for, for joining me today. And thanks, everybody, for the, for, the, for the flowers I'm getting. Really appreciate it. I'm really enjoying doing it. And um, we'll, we'll speak again next week. Take it easy. Have a good one.